Well, we're just going to look at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'll read and then I'll pray. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, you are great. You are a God that is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you that we can approach you uh, who is great because of what you have done for us and the Lord Jesus that you have opened a way of communication. Um, so we don't need to go any place, Father, but we go through Christ, through his shed blood, uh, to your throne room. So God, we pray that you hear our prayers in Christ. And God, as we enter your presence, we are reminded of our sinfulness. Uh, we're reminded this past week how we have not lived uh, to make disciples. We have not lived uh, for others. Uh, we have been living for ourselves. God, uh, Father, we, we, we pray that those of us here who have walked in ways that do not honor you this past week, that we would be forgiven in Christ, that you would not count uh, our sins against us, God, but that you would count them on Christ uh, and forgive us of our sins. Father, we, we pray for uh, those in our congregation who are hurting. Father, we pray for um, uh, Jim Knight as he's grieving the loss of his wife and for uh, Jane, his daughter, God, we pray, Margaret's daughter, God, we pray that you would just be with that family. God, allow them to feel your abiding presence, Lord, to know that you will never leave them and never forsake them, that you love them, God. Uh, Father, we thank you for Margaret. We thank you for her life. Father, we, we, we do just ask that her memory would live in our hearts, God, and remind us of your faithfulness and the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, we do thank you for pulling Olin through uh, the procedure this past week well. Uh, continue to be with him this coming week as he recovers. Father, we do pray for our community. God, we pray for a, a powerful gospel witness in our community. God, we do pray specifically for the, for the group of churches gathering over the next few days uh, for uh, the revival, God. We do pray for, for Calvary and Northside and West End and Oakdale, God, that you would bless their gatherings, that it'd be sweet, a time of encouragement and refreshment. And God, we do pray that for our own hearts this morning, God. Uh, Father, it just we, we just need you, Lord. Father, we, we may be focused on other things this morning, but God, we pray that you would just speak to your people, God. You know what your people need to hear, God. You know the word that, that refreshes and changes, God. So God, we pray as we open your word now that we would be free from distraction. God, we'd be, we'd be free from thinking about an hour from now. God, we would be free from thinking about the, the previous hour. But God, we would focus in on your word, that we would be in the moment, that this day, this time, that we would seek your righteousness by hearing your word. 
So God, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit of God that you would speak to your people, God. Speak to them. Change them, God. Move them from one degree of glory to the next. So God, I pray as I announce your word that the Holy Spirit would preach through me. God, I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase. God, you alone deserve all praise, honor, and glory. So God, we pray that as we look at your word that you would get that now. God, we love you. And we ask your blessing on the people that you have loved so faithfully uh, in our Savior, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Hudson Taylor uh, spent 51 years uh, as a missionary uh, in China. Uh, He was the founder and the director of the China um, Inland Mission. Uh, he was also responsible for inter- inter- interviewing candidates who, would, who wanted to go on the mission field, who wanted to join him in, in the evangelization um, of China. Well, one day he was visiting with a group of applicants, and he asked them, what is your motivation for being a missionary? One of them replied, I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. While another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. The other people he asked gave similar answers. And after he went to each one, he looked at them and he responded. He said, all of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testing, trials, tribulations, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, and namely, the love of Christ. The mission uh, given to Hudson Taylor was sustained by the love of Christ. He buried his wife and four children in China, in Chinese soil. He suffered tremendously during his mission. But God's love for him through Jesus Christ was the fuel that kept him on the field for 51 years. Similarly, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, For the love of God, the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for who for their sake died and was raised. See, Paul lived for Jesus, who for his sake died and was raised. Paul lived so others would no longer live for themselves, but for Jesus, who for their sake died and was raised. The mission did not sustain Hudson Taylor. The mission did not sustain the Apostle Paul. But the love of Christ sustained them in their field. This morning, we're going to look at what is the mission of the church. Today is going to be more of a big picture view as we think about why are we gathered here? Why do we come together as a church? But we start, before we even think about mission, we have to ask why missions exist. Why do we even have a mission? Author and pastor John Piper writes this, Mission 
is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We exist as a church for the glory of God. The church exists that we may worship this great and awesome God. We are called to give the world a taste of the life that will be in heaven. A taste, a foretaste of the heavenly feast that is to come. When one day we will all gather around God's throne and sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and blessing. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That is where we're going. Our mission is to expand the worship of God. So the question is how do we bring others to worship this God? And this morning, Jesus gives us the answers with his last words in his earthly life. Our mission, very clearly, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, for there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up for us. So today we're going to look specifically at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Now, but we, there are other commissions that we see in the Bible. This is not the only one. You know, when the Bible was originally written, there wasn't, uh, sub, there wasn't titles, you know, subheadings in the Bible. There wasn't the Great Commission. When this was first given, this was just given um, as, a, as one book. No chapter breaks. We call this the commission, the Great Commission, because these are the words that Jesus has chosen to leave his people with. He's about to ascend to heaven, so he wants to give us these words. We see a similar charge at the end of Luke's gospel, where he writes, Jesus says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And again, in the, in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit of God, working through the church, he writes this in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So, uh, while this morning we're going to focus in and narrow in on the Great Commission and the end of Matthew's Gospel, let us just take a step back and realize this is not the only commission. This is repeated again and again in Scripture. But we look at it as important because when Jesus was about to leave, this is what he left the church. He left us our, our mission, our task, to bring him glory by making disciples of him. So this morning, we're going to look uh, at three ways how we are called to make disciples. Three ways in how we are called to make disciples. If you want to follow along with the, uh, the, the outline provided for you, just flip to the back of your bulletin, and we'll see this first point. We are to make disciples in the authority of Jesus. 
We are to make disciples in the authority of Jesus. Look again with me in verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they had saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. So these are the words that Jesus says. He came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So before we even see the mission, now the mission's plain, but before we even see that, understand the context of who is giving the command. We, we, we don't have a right to disagree here. Because Jesus says, all, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to me. Jesus has all authority to tell us what to do. Uh, the former governor of Massachusetts, Christian Herter, uh, was working his campaign one day. Uh, he was working the campaign so vigorously in the morning that he didn't eat breakfast and he didn't eat lunch. So he finally arrived at, this, at, at, a, at a local church uh, barbecue lunch. And as he was going through the line, the lady who was serving the chicken handed him one piece of chicken. And, and the governor just looked at this woman and said, Excuse me, ma'am, um, do you mind if I have one more piece of chicken? The woman replied, Sorry. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But he said, but I'm starved. Can I please have one more? She said, no, only one piece. And then the governor thought he would throw around his, his political weight a little bit. He looked at the woman and said, excuse me, don't you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. Uh, the woman looked back at him and said, sir, don't you know who I am? I am the person in charge of the chicken. Move along, <laughs> right? The governor had no choice because the authority lusted with the woman who had the chicken. When somebody has authority over something, we better listen. So the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, these words are non-negotiable. We have to listen to these words. We know why Jesus has all authority because he was obedient to the Father's will. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, that Jesus emptied himself by taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now listen to what happens because of his obedient, sacrificial death. What did that get Jesus? It goes on, therefore, because of his death, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. For there is no other name but Jesus, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth because he was perfectly obedient to the Father's will. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Now hear me, beloved. If we deny the mission that God gives us, our highest authority, we are, in a sense, denying that he has the right to give us the mission. 
in a sense, we are denying how he earned that authority. We are denying the gospel itself. So when we hear these next words, we can't just hear them as words. We must hear them as words given to us by our highest authority, God Almighty Himself. So we look at the second point this morning. We are to make disciples in the Word of Jesus. Make disciples in the Word of Jesus. Look with me in verse 19. He goes on, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, when we read this, the imperative of the verse, the command, is not the go. It's actually the second verb we see. It's the make, right? So the supreme authority of the universe gives us a command to make disciples. That's where the emphasis is in the text. The command is clear. But not only is the command clear, Jesus also gives us the how to complete this command. So we see that the main verb of the sentence is to make. But we see three supporting verbs. Going, baptizing, teaching. So first, we're called to go. We should not look at this as a one-time action. More of a continual as-we-are-going mentality. We are called to have our hearts fixed on the goal to make disciples. And the reason why we're teaching this church is because sadly many of us live not on mission. We forget that God has given the church a, a, a job to do, to make disciples. But how many days do we live throughout our weeks forgetting, right, neglecting the command given to us with all authority? We need to hear this because not only our church, but churches across this land are not making disciples. That is a problem. As we live, beloved, as we go throughout our days, we must be intentional in reaching our neighbors, making disciples. Jesus commanded us to make disciples not only of our, of our immediate neighbors, but what? Of all the nations. Now, the, 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 there's been a lot of study on this in terms of what is all the nations. I think most scholars agree that it doesn't mean nations as in uh, nation states, but more people groups, right? People groups spread out throughout this world. According to our International Mission Board, the the, the money that we just raised to go to Lottie Moon to support missionaries in the field, there are 6,000 people groups, 1.7 billion people who have little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make disciples of all nations. And that's why we're challenged to go, isn't it? The greatest challenge for me when I read go is that we will explain away what it means. You know, if we, if we only read it as going into our local communities to make disciples, we forsake the billions of people overseas who are lost and will perish and, and spend an eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell because they have not heard of the gospel. They can't call on our Savior. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 10. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And he goes on, he says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have never heard? And how will they to hear? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Beloved, if we narrow the go only to our immediate communities, we exclude billions of people who need to call, who need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. We must send people there. And by God's grace, we're doing that. We're doing that with the Annie Armstrong offering. We're doing that with the, the Lottie Moon offering. But we can do more. What about people in this church? Would you be willing to sacrifice a week of your time to go overseas? Well, maybe you don't have the, the energy, the, the ability to go overseas. Would you be willing to give so we could send people from our own congregation overseas to make disciples of the nations? See, but the other danger is the opposite side, right? We, th- we think that the, the, the mission is the going, right? I have heard story after story of missionaries who say it's easier to preach the gospel, to share Jesus Christ with people in Africa, to people in Malaysia, than it is to walk across the street and share it to my neighbor who is lost and going to hell. It's not an either or, beloved. It's both and. We are called to make disciples of the nations, which includes the farthest ends of the earth, but it also includes your neighbor across the street children in your own home. The mission of the church is to make disciples of the nations. It is not an either or, but a both end. I believe it's summed up in the verse I read earlier, Acts 1.8. We will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But notice that after Jesus identifies the who, we're called to reach the nations, he then moves on to the what. We are to make disciples of all nations by baptizing and teaching. Those are the two verbs, baptizing and teaching. So baptizing is to help people enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and into his kingdom, while teaching is more to grow people into maturity and full obedience. So to make disciples, you must do two things. You must um, evangelize and edify. That's what we're called to do. Now, Chipper... Churches typically exalt one over the other. So they say, we want to be an evangelistic church. We want to share the gospel. But they may not want to be a teaching church. Other churches say, we want to exalt the teaching of the church. Therefore, they neglect reaching the lost. Again, it's not either or. We're called to do both. Because you can't do both unless you make disciples. Baptizing and teaching. So, let us look more closely first at our calling to baptize. Jesus said we are called to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism is when a person publicly identifies himself with Jesus Christ. They go on record to say that they believe that Jesus Christ died in their place, that he rose in their place, and that one day he's going to come again and take them to the place where he has prepared. They they go on record saying, this is what I believe. Now, we know the rite of baptism does not save. It's an outward picture of an interchange of the heart. They declare that they are no longer their own, but they know that they belong body and soul in life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Acts 2, verse 38. Peter said to those, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, we make disciples by going into the world with the message of the gospel of repentance. If anyone would turn from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, you will be forgiven. The world is under God's judgment. It's under God's condemnation because of their rebellion and sin. Without Christ, people are objects of wrath. If they stay in their sins, they will suffer punishment for their sins in a literal place called hell. Now we know that because that's where we were. We were by nature objects of wrath, realizing that we were sinners, that we wronged a holy God. But what happened? We'd only come with the message of repentance. The message of repentance is not only one of, of condemnation, but it's a one of hope. That if anyone, anyone calls on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. God is a God of hope. So baptism is the public declaration that people have turned from their sins. Beloved, is there any greater blessing than rescuing someone from sudden death? I remember several years ago, there was a man, Wesley Autry. Uh, he saved a man from sudden death. He was making his way home uh, from New York, from his place in New York on the subway. Uh, and while he was there, he saw a man uh, fall onto the, to the tracks when a train was coming. Without even thinking, he jumped in the tracks and held the man down so the train could go over him and the man, man's life was, was saved, uh, rescued from sudden death. Uh, the story made national news and Autry uh, was so, um, became a, kind of a, a mini-celebrity, had his 15 minutes of fame, was invited to the Today Show and various other uh, talk shows. I think people were taken by the story because someone was bold enough to lay down their life for someone else that they may be rescued from sudden death. Now listen, there is nothing more sure, nothing more certain than death for those who stand opposed to God. That is a guarantee. If people stand opposed from God, they will face death. And the only hope for someone in that situation when God's Wrath is bearing down on them like a train. Is someone to reach out with the message of hope and rescue them from sudden death? Is there anything sweeter than helping someone see the glory of Jesus Christ and the hope that he offers in his death and resurrection? Charles Spurgeon says this, I would rather be the means of saving a soul from death than be the greatest orator on the earth. I would rather bring the poorest woman in the world to the feet of Jesus 
than I would be made the Archbishop of Canterbury. I would sooner pluck one single brand from the burning than explain all the mysteries of the world. To win a soul from going down into the pit is a more glorious achievement than to be crowned in the arena of theological controversy. To have faithfully unveiled the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ will be in the final judgment a counterworthier service than to have solved all the problems of the religious sphinx, to have cut the Gordian knot of apocalyptic difficulty. And he says this, and I want you to hear this. This is one of the happiest thoughts, is that when I die, it shall be my privilege to enter into the bosom of Christ and to know that I shall not enjoy my heaven alone. Thousands have already entered there who have been drawn to Christ under my ministry. Oh, what bliss it will be to fly to heaven, to have a multitude of converts before and behind. Beloved, we are called to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This happens when we share the message of repentance in Christ to those who are perishing. So can I just urge you, do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. But we have another command there, not just to baptize, but to teach. See, our goal, beloved, is not to make decisions, but to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We want people to be mature believers in Christ, so that when we teach them to observe all that Jesus Christ commanded us. Now, this is the model of the New Testament. Listen to Acts 41, 241. For those who received his word were baptized, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. 2 John 1, 9. Everyone who goes on ahead does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Young Pastor Timothy was told how the teaching, his teaching was so important for people's salvation. It says in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save yourself and your hearers if the teaching is right. He says again in 1 Timothy 6.3, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Beloved, again and again throughout Scripture, we see the importance of disciples being committed to the teaching. And we just see the disciples teaching. Now, where does this take place? In your living room at home? On the internet? No, it takes place in the local church. That's where teaching happens. But remember, beloved, it's not about gaining knowledge. It's about loving Jesus Christ in our obedience to Jesus. Jesus said, make disciples by teaching them to observe all that is commanded. It's not enough just to tell you what to do. We are called to respond in obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
know, the same idea is bookended from the book of Romans. Romans 1, 5. Paul says that he has received what he has received through Jesus Christ. He has received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Then at the end of the book of Romans, the last sentence, he writes about how the gospel has been disclosed to all, has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Beloved, the goal of the church is to make disciples of Jesus, to make people fall in love with Jesus. So when they hear his word, they want to obey because they want to love him. Remember, our our mission, the missions exist because worship doesn't. We want more people to worship our great God. This requires both baptizing and teaching so that we may bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And lastly and shortly, we'll look at our last point. Make disciples in the presence of Jesus. Make disciples in the presence of Jesus. The last sentence in the book of Matthew is one of the most encouraging sentences in all of Scripture. Listen, he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, this last sentence shows the Great Commission is not just for the apostles because he says he's going to be with us to the end of the age where he will return to his people in righteousness as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who is called faithful and true will ensure that our mission will be successful. The great thing about our Lord is that he never calls us on mission without giving us the power to complete our mission. He has given us the power of his presence through the Holy Spirit of God. So Jesus commands us with all authority to make disciples. But then, with this same authority that has been given to him, he says, I will be with you to help you make disciples. Our confidence to complete our mission It's not in the soldiers. It's not in the the soldiers of Christ gathered here today. It's in our commander, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who himself said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. We are soldiers on a worldwide mission to make disciples under the command of King Jesus. Our mission will not fail. But our sure victory is not our motivation. Our motivation is fueled by what, church? By the love of God. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Jesus laid down his life for us. Therefore, let us now lay our lives down for him by making disciples of all nations, spreading the glory of our great Savior to the ends of of the earth. We are given a great task, but we have not been given it alone. For behold, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. Uh, We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that in this life you have given us a job to do, uh, to make disciples of your name. 
God, to make disciples of Jesus. God, we pray that we would do so faithfully, God, that we would listen to our supreme authority, Lord, that we would go and baptize and teach in your presence that we may expand worship. God, I pray that our fuel, our motivation would be our love for you, recognizing how you have loved us so faithfully in your death and resurrection of your son. Father, we ask now as we, as we go that these would not just be words to hear, but words to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.